Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, proud partner in personalized medicine, developing tailored treatments for cancer patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar, Stephen Gore, and Peter Schwartz. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about lymphoma with Dr. Shalin Kothari. Dr. Kothari is an assistant professor of medicine in hematology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgery. So, Shalin, tell us a little bit about yourself and about what you do. Yes, I'm a hematologist and oncologist by training, uh, by fellowship, and I joined Yale Cancer Center three months ago, um, and my uh, specialty and my focus uh, is lymphoma, uh, seeing lymphoma patients, treating them, and researching uh, newer and better therapies for lymphoma. So tell us a little bit more about lymphoma. I mean, it seems like a broad term um, that encompasses many different things. Yeah, you're right. So there are approximately 65 different types of lymphomas. So when we talk about lymphomas, we really have to get granular because every different type of lymphoma has different treatment. And many of the times uh, we can even wait and watch. So it is very important to uh, to figure out what, what the subtype of lymphoma is uh, before jumping to any therapies. Um, and one of the things uh, that is very important to keep in mind is that that lymphomas usually require a big chunk of uh, tissue for a good diagnosis. So one of the things that typically can go wrong and does go wrong frequently at centers is that we don't have enough tissue, and that's why we are you know, left in the dark as to what the exact diagnosis is. But, you know, getting uh, just to uh, tell you what lymphoma is in general, lymphoma is essentially a cancer of immune cells. Um, and uh, immune cells live uh, in different areas of the body, such as lymph nodes. Um, it can. It is uh, one of the biggest lymph nodes that we have in our body is spleen, um, in the belly, um, and sometimes even in the liver. So these are the most common sites uh, uh, where lymph nodes uh, can get enlarged, and that can lead to lymphoma. So how do people present with lymphoma? I mean, do they present with big lymph nodes? So that is one of the possible sign uh, or symptom rather, uh, but there, it can also present as just a very you know, subtle uh, blood uh, abnormality, which is detected by a blood test. So the, the, the symptom ranges from uh, florid, uh, you know, fevers, night sweats, weight loss, along with a swollen lymph node, either it could be in the neck, it could be in the chest, in the belly. Um, or it could just be as uh, indolent as just a you know small abnormality in the blood that can only be detected by a blood test. Many of those uh, the latter types of lymphomas are detected just by a routine blood test that was done, uh, in, and it is more of an incidental finding. And so, in either case, um, how do you make that diagnosis? You mentioned that you you know would need a sufficient amount of tissue. If you just had a routine blood test, you, you've been feeling a little under the weather. You thought, you know, maybe it's just I got the cold, been feeling a little run down, a little tired. 
you know, yeah, I've got a bit of night sweats and fevers, but I thought it was a cold. So I went to the doctor. He drew some routine blood tests. And now you're telling me that he's suspicious of lymphoma. How do we get from that to actually making a diagnosis? That's a great question. Um, Typically, we start with a blood test. um, But before that, the doctor that you are going to see would do a full physical exam. So one of the things that if the patient is not complaining uh, him or herself, then they would do a full physical exam to make sure that there are no swollen lymph nodes. Typical areas that we look at are under uh, the neck, uh, under the armpits, or at at the groin crease. So there are, these are the typical uh, you know areas that we look for lymph nodes, and then we do a, a you know comprehensive lung and abdominal exam. So that is just to look at whether the, anything is swollen, anything we can uh, we can feel just by hand. Um, but then, then the next steps are to look at uh, you know different uh, subtypes of white blood cells in in the blood and look at whether they are increased in number or do they show any signs of uh, markers on the surface of the cells which shouldn't be there. And so, so that's another blood test. Correct. And so you do that, and then what happens? Well, then we figure out one of uh, what type of lymphoma it is. So one of the, as I said before, there are 65 different types of lymphomas as uh, given by WHO classification. Um, so it is absolutely crucial to figure out what the type of lymphoma is. Um, and that happens un- with, you know, by putting together the entire spectrum of data. So that uh, includes your the way the patient presented. Uh, so what are the symptoms? Uh, what did those uh, you know, tests in the blood show? And also uh, the biopsy specimen. Um, so we put all the three you know, in piece of pieces of information together, figure out the subtype, figure out the stage of lymphoma, and uh, decide whether we need to treat the patient or not. So what do you biopsy in that situation? I mean, you go, uh, you're feeling a little under the weather. They did a routine blood test. They said, you know, your white count is out of whack. There's, we're kind of suspicious. You go to the oncologist or the hematologist. Uh, who does the full physical exam. And if you did not have florid lymphadenopathy, your lymph nodes were not swollen, mm-hmm. um, they're going to run this special blood test to look at the different types of white blood cells and so on and so forth. Um, but then what do you biopsy? In that particular case that you are describing, there is nothing to biopsy, uh, and that is, uh, you know, the most common type of lymphoma that presents the way you described it is a CLL or chronic lymphocytic leukemia, where the lymphoma cells are just circulating in the blood. So there is nothing really to biopsy. We just take uh, quite a few tubes of blood and do all the tests that we we would have done on, on a biopsy specimen, but on a blood specimen instead. Um, in sometimes we also have to do a bone marrow biopsy, uh, which is uh, 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 which is a, a test of looking at the hollow part of the bone. That, that's where is the factory of all the cells that I just described that beca- can become cancerous. 
But, you know, the field is trying to move away from doing bone marrow biopsies because our tests in the peripheral blood and the tissue uh, are getting more and more sensitive. We can get most of the information that we need. But that being said, um, there are still many uh, situations where we have to do a bone marrow biopsy. And so if somebody presents on the other side of the spectrum, you know, feeling terrible, fevers, chills, night sweats, losing weight for no reason, notices a lump in the neck and then, you know, feeling more, you feel some lumps in the groin, you go to the doctor and the doctor gets worried. Um, what what then? Do they do a biopsy of the lymph nodes? Is that how that works? In In that scenario that you're describing, biopsy becomes very, very important. Um, and we work very closely with our uh, interventional radiologists or even surgeons sometimes, depending on the location of the of the swollen lymph node. Uh, so either surgeons or interventional radiologists would biopsy the specimen, and then that specimen would go to the pathologist who would uh, you know dissect the tissue um, and look under the microscope, uh, stain it with different uh, markers that we already know that may be positive in these different types of lymphomas. And then um, we figure out the subtype of the lymphoma. And within usually within a week or two, we are ready to start the therapy. Now, as you described, if the patient is really sick at that time, then sometimes we even have to admit the patient uh, while all these results are back and just give some you know, medications to temporize rather than starting full, uh, full, you know, full-blown therapy that we would have given, uh, we, that we would give in the future. So what's the most common kind of lymphoma? I mean, you say there's 65 different types. I mean, your head could spin, especially with all of the different therapies, if each one of these is treated differently. What's most common? So that's also a tricky question to answer. And the reason is that, you know, we branch, the way we classify lymphomas is the broad category is Hodgkin lymphoma and non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Um, but then it gets uh, complicated very quickly. Uh, so it, it, with just that classification, non-Hodgkin lymphoma is the most common. So um, how do you know what's a Hodgkin's lymphoma and what's a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? So Hodgkin lymphoma has a very classic appearance um, on, on, the, on the tissue biopsy specimen. So that's something that the pathologist would tell us, that it is either Hodgkin or non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Okay, and then you were saying non-Hodgkin's is the most common. Right. So under non-Hodgkin, pretty much everything else falls under non-Hodgkin. So the way I like to think about it is either, so what is the origin of the, of the, of the cancer cells? So it could be, so there are different types of lymphocytes, the immune cells that we talked about before. Um, so it could be either B cell or a T cell. So there are, you know, there are non-Hodgkin lymphomas that are that originate from a B cell. So they are called B cell lymphomas, versus there are non-Hodgkin lymphomas that originate from T cells, and they are called T cell lymphomas. Um, and then the way I think about it next is under B cell lymphomas, which is the most common out of B and T cell lymphomas, is uh, looking at whether they they most whether they are aggressive in presentation or indolent in presentation. So that's how I like to you know broadly classify lymphomas. And so when we had talked about that first case, which was a really indolent uh, cancer, 
where, you know, somebody was picked up on a routine blood test. You, you called it CLL. You call it, called it a leukemia. What's the difference between a leukemia and a lymphoma? Or are they the same? Well, they are not the same. Uh, but this uh, leukemia in general, so that word means that there are cancer cells circulating in the blood. Um, and uh, most of the times when we talk about routine leukemias that leukemia doctors treat, I don't treat leukemia patients, but this CLL is an exception because that particular type of cell circulating in the blood is a lymphocyte, but it has not homed into a lymph node or something that is tangible or can be seen on, on, a, uh, on a physical exam. So that's why, you know, it's sort of not really a misnomer, but it can get uh, uh, people confused. So, so then you had mentioned earlier that these 65 different types of lymphomas are all treated differently. And for some of them, you can actually just watch them? That is correct. And that's exactly why, uh, you know, the classification working very closely with the pathologist too is absolutely crucial. So, you know, the subtype that we talked about, CLL, uh, many of the times we can just wait and watch. So one of the things we want to look at is whether the the cell burden, the cancer cell burden in the body uh, is large enough to either compress on our normal organs or prevent production of other uh, cell lines such as platelets or red blood cells. So if we see those signs, then that's when we pull the trigger to start the treatment. But many of the times, uh, for particularly CLL, uh, we can wait and watch. But that being said, there are many other indolent lymphomas, such as follicular lymphoma um, and even very minor subsets of mental cell lymphoma. Well, lots of great information, but we're going to have to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about lymphoma and early phase clinical trials with my guest, Dr. Shalin Kothari. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, dedicated to providing innovative treatment options for people living with cancer. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about melanoma. While melanoma accounts for only about 4% of skin cancer cases, it causes the most skin cancer deaths. When detected early, however, melanoma is easily treated and highly curable. Clinical trials are currently underway to test innovative new treatments for melanoma. The goal of the Specialized Programs of Research Excellence in Skin Cancer, or SPORE grant, is to better understand the biology of skin cancer with a focus on discovering targets that will lead to improved diagnosis and treatment. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Shalin Kotari. We're talking about lymphoma and early phase clinical trials. Now, right before the break, uh, Dr. Kotari was telling us about lymphoma being this really large basket of 64 different types of cancers, essentially all of which are bound together by this term lymphoma because they are cancers of lymphocytes, those immune cells that all of us need to help fight infections. 
some of these present in a really indolent fashion. Some of them present uh, with florid symptoms of fevers and night sweats and weight loss and enlarged lymph nodes and even getting your spleen enlarged. Um, And we talked a little bit about how the diagnosis can sometimes be made on something as simple as a routine blood test, but other times really requires a tissue biopsy. Now, right before the break, Shalyn, you were saying that some cancers... um, don't require any treatment uh, and that you can simply wait and watch. Um, But other cancers do require treatment. Can you tell us a little bit more about how lymphoma is classically treated and a a bit about some of the research that's going on in terms of treatment of lymphomas? Yeah. Um, So classically, lymphoma is treated uh, with... So again, talking about... uh, It becomes a bit challenging because every subtype is again treated very differently. But let's say we talk about B-cell lymphomas, then most of the regimens that we use for the first, uh, as a frontline therapy for the patient, we would use a antibody drug called rituximab or a CD20 antibody, which is one of the very common markers on B-cells. So are these like chemotherapies? Is that what it is? I would say they are more of a protein infusion. Uh, it's more of an antibody infusion. They are, that particular drug that I talked about is not a chemotherapy, but it is typically combined with uh, two or three or even four different types of chemotherapy drugs uh, in combination. So usually we have to find different ways to trick the cancer cell into dying, um, and that requires you know different tools um, and which so that uh, the cancer cell is attacked from different angles. So that's why we combine these uh, therapies together um, as a cocktail, which has been studied for many years, and we have a good idea of what dose and what regimen, what cycles, how many cycles, how many weeks of break. All of that has been figured out over a period of time. And that kind of uh, is a good segue to what you were uh, asking me about the research. So all of these questions as to what drug to use, uh, how does cancer cell, how, how the cell figures out a way to survive with these therapies, and what is the dose of the drug to use, uh, what is a dose of a drug that doesn't cause too much toxicity through the patient, what is the schedule of that uh, combination of drugs, all of that is studied um, in clinical trials. So, for example, at Yale, uh, for lymphomas, we have around, you know, 60 to 70 different types of clinical trials ongoing, and they can range from, you know, early phase clinical trials to late phase clinical trials. Um, And I am, me and my team, uh, we are actively involved in enrolling patients into these clinical trials um, so that they can benefit and they can help other patients benefit in the future. Because any therapy that we use today at some point in the past was studied as a clinical trial, which is now benefiting the entire, you know, all everyone who has lymphoma. But a lot of patients may think, you know, I just want what's standard. I don't want to be a human guinea pig. Um, Somebody else can be a human guinea pig. Uh, How do I know that what you're giving me is going to work or is going to work better than standard? What do you say to patients who say that? That's an excellent question. And 
a lot goes into uh, research before we decide to introduce the drug as a clinical trial in uh, into patients. So typically, a drug is studied for years, and I, when I say it could be even a decade or at least four to five years before we even think of, uh, you know, uh, uh, designing a clinical trial uh, in t- for, uh, for use in patients. And the way we do that is first we start with, you know, t- testing lymphoma cells with that drug uh, in a Petri dish, in, in a translational research laboratory. Um, and then we move on to, you know, uh, uh, lymphomas in mammals. So we use either mice or, you know, other mammals just to see uh, what the drug does in those animals before we, uh, and during, through those phases, we figure out the, the, you know, the dose or at least the range of dose that we should study in humans because we have a lot of precedence as to, uh, then we have like, you know, formulas and calculations as that we can do to figure out uh, what to start uh, as a starting dose for uh, for that drug in in a particular patient. So, with all of these different types of lymphoma um, and all of these different therapies, what do you think is the most exciting in terms of where research is going? The research is definitely moving towards using less and less of what you described as chemotherapy. Um, and for good reasons, uh, chemotherapy can cause a lot of toxicity, which is, uh, of course, it is very effective in c- killing cancer cells, but it can also cause other unwanted toxicities. And um, the research is moving very, very fast uh, towards using novel therapeutic agents, which um, which really looks at genetic and even, you know, at a cellular level to figure out what exactly is driving the cancer cell. What is, what is that genetic change that is leading that cancer cell to go from two cells to four cells, four to eight, and so on and so forth. And once we figure that out, uh, we can use a drug that tip, uh, directly targets that particular mutation or a pathway that we think is uh, crucial for that cancer cell to survive. So as you can imagine, if we are that selective, then we can uh, you know, reduce the toxicities that that drug would cause otherwise. Yeah, that makes sense. That's like all of this personalized medicine that people are talking about. Yes, uh, in some ways, yeah. So tell us about your research. Do you work in that field? Yeah, so my, I, I dedicate my 50% of my time uh, into a translational research laboratory where I study uh, mental cell lymphoma. Um, I, we are trying to figure out uh, newer therapies for mental cell lymphoma, which is a subtype of uh, aggressive uh, B-cell lymphomas for the most part. Um, and, uh, you know, currently I'm trying to figure out, there are a couple of drugs that are already known, these novel therapies, that are already known to be active in mental cell lymphoma, but many or to most patients will eventually develop resistance to those drugs. Um, so we have to find newer therapies that will uh, work uh, after they, after those two drugs or three drugs stop working. So that's what my focus is in the research laboratory to figure out these new drugs that we can use for those patients. And how do you do that exactly? 
Well, uh, as uh, as I discussed uh, described before, we we take lymphoma cells in a petri dish. One of the you know the first steps that we start with, and we first figure out why the cancer cell, uh, what is driving the cancer cell to divide. So then we get let's say a list of you know. F- 10 different genes and five different pathways to target. Then we look at previous research that has already been done and see uh, what can we target in that pathway Um, and then try to design, either design a drug or collaborate with uh, other laboratories around the world that have already designed a drug for that particular pathway and see if that works against the lymphoma cells. But doesn't I mean when you say that you're trying to find therapies that will help in the cases of resistant lymphoma? Wouldn't if you're looking at pathways that uh, cause cancer cells to divide? One would think that those would help even upfront as frontline therapies. Um, do you do you try to figure out why they were resistant to the first line? chemotherapy or the first-line drug because presumably those already were targeting certain pathways that made cancer cells divide to begin with. That is true. Um, and that really, again, depends on the type of lymphoma. So, for example, uh, mantle cell lymphoma is the frontline therapy that we use is still even to this date. Uh, rituximab that I talked about in combination with other chemotherapy agents. And to be honest, most of the lymphoma's frontline therapy is still that cocktail of chemotherapy with rituximab. And for good reasons. It's The bar is so high uh, that uh, to for these novel therapies to you know to, for them to be used in frontline we don't want to harm patients we have to find those novel drugs that will either improve uh, further uh, the response uh, to uh, to the in the frontline therapy uh, if not then most uh, most of the times they end up being used in second or third line if the patients uh, develop resistance to the frontline therapy so how how often do patients with mantle cell lymphoma actually become resistant? Mantle cell lymphoma is one of the... Uh, there is a, lo- a lot of research needs to be done in mantle cell lymphoma. Um, and uh, I think uh, in, 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 in mantle cell lymphoma, for example... I would say almost 70 to 80 percent of patients develop resistance to the frontline therapy. And as you can imagine, we already know that what to use in second line, third line. But then eventually most patients develop resistance to all these lines of therapy. And why is that? That's a million-dollar question. Um, It's not easy to figure that out. But we do know that there is a, uh, uh, you know, there are different mutations that the cancer cell can, um, cancer cell keeps on evolving. That's probably the best way to think about it. So if you you introduce frontline therapy uh, to a cancer cell, and let's say there are 10 cells to kill, Maybe eight of them get killed, but the other two, uh, they find a way, they they kind of change their path of dividing, and they kind of circumvent uh, the way the frontline therapies worked. So now they have become smarter. They have acquired new mutations, new genetic changes that that weren't there the first time. And then you introduce second-line therapy, and then again the same thing happens where you kill most of the cells but not all, and then those few cells that are left behind, they eventually start dividing again because they have acquired newer and newer mutations. 
So it's kind of like it, it sounds a lot like what our audience might be familiar with in terms of antibiotic resistance, that you see one antibiotic and the idea is that you don't want to keep taking different, different antibiotics, especially when you don't need them, because then you have the generation of superbugs that are resistant to all antibiotics. Is that the similar kind of concept? Similar concept, but we are not worried about generation of superbugs in this case, uh, because uh, most lymphomas, if not treated, uh, they can be deadly. Um, you know, if, if they need treatment, if they're aggressive kinds of lymphomas, and if they're not treated, they can be deadly. So we don't typically worry about what will happen to that cancer cell, what different types of mutations they are going to acquire, because we really don't have the time uh, in that particular patient. So we, uh, you know, in, in other words, we typically switch from one line of therapy to the next line of therapy uh, very quickly. Mm -hmm. The moment we know that this, uh, th that particular patient is, uh, the, the lymphoma has stopped responding, then we quickly move to the next line uh, because it's crucial to try to keep it uh, at a very low level uh, of burden or even completely cure it. Dr. Shalin Kotari is an assistant professor of medicine in hematology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.